Welcome to the Naked Truth. Peace to you. It's Saturday night, so let's pick up where we left off in the Gospels. We're in the book of Matthew. That's the very first book in the New Testament. That's the second part of the Bible where you'll run into what Jesus has to say. Um, so we're in chapter, um, we're in the book of Matthew. We're at chapter 8. So let's begin with verse 1. When he had come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. So it's talking about Jesus and um, the following he's gained. Verse 2, And behold, a leper came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. So a leper is someone who has to, way back in the day, socially dis- distance themselves from the rest of society because the disease they had is contagious. So, um... They were ostracized from everyone else, so you can imagine how they're set aside and how their uh, interactions are with people. And um, there were other religious laws or uh, dogma that was laid out to keep them also separated and I think in some ways considered sinful by the rest of society because they were separated. But notice what he looks for. He's He has the disease and he's looking for help, so he addresses Jesus as Lord and um then he asks then he he t- he declares that he believes that Jesus is able to do the healing but he's asking him if he's willing he says if you're willing he can make him clean so it's it's like so many other things in life where people have the ability to help it's just they aren't willing to sort of like reparations for slavery uh the royals are seen have seen just recently how people still feel about it in the islands uh, but people here on the mainland in America certainly understand it too because Africans, descendants of slaves in America are entitled to reparations also since seeing as how the slave owners themselves already received reparation, reparations and then were still allowed to terrorize and uh, continue to mistreat uh, black people and uh, as the same as slaves just without calling it slavery. Um a shameful history that should, if you're going to make amends for it, make amends for it through reparations. Then Jesus put out his hand and touched him saying, I am willing, be cleansed. Immediately his leprosy was cleansed. So Jesus let him know, okay, you know I'm able to, but I'm also willing to, like you asked. And he gave him the cleansing, the relief, the healing he was looking for. And immediately he received it. The same sort of instant Reaction or response that Christians hope and pray for now. Verse 4 And Jesus said to him, See that you tell no one, but go your way, show yourself to the priest, and offer to get that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. This is one of the few times, the only time I can think of, where Jesus tells someone to do one of the Old Testament. animal sacrifice offerings and notice the reason he says to do it not because it's what God's waiting on you to give for the healing you prayed for we're looking for but as a testimony to them so so that the people who are going to end up being behind his crucifixion can see that even according to their law Jesus performed a miracle otherwise why would the man be making the offering that Moses and their religion calls for so I think that's more about that's the reason why Jesus is telling him to do the animal sacrifice. But um 
I think also that in doing that, it lets you know just because some other modern churches and organ religious organizations say that uh, all the animal sacrifices died with Jesus on the cross. Jesus never said that, and in the time that he was was doing his ministry, this was an example of him telling them to do what their old, old school religion calls for, even if it's not an affirmation of that religion, uh, necessarily. Um, verse uh, 5, Now when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him pleading with them. So Jesus is on the move, and a centurion, or a Roman sort of uh, officer, is um has even sought Jesus out for help. And I say that because the Romans were the people who were occupying and controlling the area at the time. It's similar to the way uh, America invaded uh, the Middle East after the attack on um, September 11th. Didn't invite, invade the country where the attackers uh, came from, Saudi Arabia, but instead attacked another country and used that as a premise for war for like 20 years or way too long and trillions of dollars to go work its way back around, back around to the people who approved it and get to sit behind a desk and make money off of it while other people die for it. That same sort of thing was happening then. The Romans were occupying the land there where um, the forefathers and Jesus' contemporaries were living so um it would be strange for them to resort to their the the religion of the people who they're controlling it'd be just like if american soldiers who were not um whatever uh, strain of islam the area uh they invaded worship to suddenly pick up that strain of um of worship themselves and um be questioning it and looking for help from it, which I'm sure does happen, but it it lets you know that no matter what some, what the case may be with the centurion's walk of life, he knows that Jesus has power to help. So regardless of the religion, he's gone to where he knows there's help to be found. Uh, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home, paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. So he's gone to Jesus looking for help for his servant. And it's it makes me believe it's probably um, a paid servant, not a slave, since he's willing to go through all that to help him. Whereas, you know, with the slave history in America, they may um, do a lot of things for their slaves, but they were not willing to get them freedom, even if they had children from them, um, you know, voluntarily even, you know, in situations where it was dating, not just enslavement um, that spawned children. Um, but even then, they still weren't necessarily for their slaves' freedom. So it leads me to believe it's probably an actual servant, not just someone enslaved, unfortunately. But whatever the case may be, he's gone looking for help for his servant, as it says, from Jesus. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. So Jesus is ready and willing here also to help. And again, the person believed Jesus was able to do it. That's why he went to him. Verse 8, the centurion answered and said, Lord, he is not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. So just by seeing the way he said that, you can see why you may want to think twice about repeating what it is the centurion said, because 
the hope and prayer is obviously that Jesus abides with us under our same roof, wherever that roof and abode may be. Um, so consider that when you're reading verse 8, um, if you're reading it out loud. But what he's letting him know is that he doesn't feel uh, worthy to have Jesus even enter his house, meaning he doesn't feel worthy, probably doesn't feel holy, sanctified enough to do it. Verse um, 9, For I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, Go, and he goes. And to another, Come, and he comes. And to my servant, Do this, and he does it. So he's letting Jesus know that he understands the pecking order of things, and that even in his position of not being able to help and heal his servant himself, he knows that in other walks, areas of life, he's able to give an order and doesn't have to micromanage it to see that it happens and that it comes to pass. He knows he gives the order and it, it's executed, it's done. So he knows that if he, being a human, has that kind of authority, he believes Jesus also has similar authority to just demand, demand or command whatever it is he have done and it will manifest in very strong faith. Verse 10, when Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to those who followed, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. So Jesus is impressed by the fact that the centurion, someone who's not of their religion, remember, um, has faith in the fact that he knows that there's a divine order to things, like that big picture of things. And he knows that Jesus is able to affect the outcomes in that um grand scheme of things and has the power to do that and so he's asking Jesus knowing he has the power to affect how things the how what turn of events will take place um impresses Jesus with that and he's impressed by by the fact that on a human level the man recognizes that that's how things work in the world simply because he has the privilege and the authority to command things and call shots and see them happen and come to real come to life just by a word. So he knows Jesus and by ascension God has that same ability. So uh, which I agree with. I mean, if God is the creator of all and and you believe the miracles of the Old Testament were performed by God Almighty, say like to deliver the people from slavery, then what sense does it make? For that same powerful God to need human beings to go around carrying out justice for him. And when I say justice, I mean the death penalty. When you see in the Old Testament, minor offenses or seemingly minor offenses call for a lightning bolt that will take people out in an instant or um, the ground opening up and swallowing people up. So if God's able to intervene in that way. Uh, in such grand, uh, miraculous ways, why in the world would God need us to set up things like electric chairs and um, uh, shooting, what do they call them, Uh, uh, hangings and things like that for so-called justice, when God also, if you believe the Old Testament tells you thou thou shalt not kill, it doesn't make sense. Um, If you believe God has all that authority that you say you believe he has or God has, um, so Jesus is impressed by his faith. Verse 11, and I say to you that many will come from east and west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus is saying that the salvation is going to be, is open to all, open to 
anyone from anywhere in the world, not just uh, the people who he names uh, by name, the Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob forefathers from the Old Testament, who, if you read through it, and if you've been reading through it with me, um, even just the very first book of the Bible, you can see they weren't necessarily uh, brave or uh, heroic or um, even uh, valiant men at all. And many, many ways, at least by modern standards, they were extremely flawed and even wretched individuals with the things and cowardly actions they do and seemingly faithless behavior. And yet, according to Jesus right here, uh, they're going to make it. They're going to be in the kingdom of heaven and um, people from all over are going to join them. Um, but he says in chapter in verse 12, but the sons of the kingdom will be cast out in the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So Jesus is referring to when he says the sons of the kingdom, he's saying the descendants of those forefathers that we just talked about of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. In other words, it's people who assume that because they share a common lineage with um, the, say, holy family or biblical forefathers, they feel that that's their ticket into the salvation. That's all that's going to be required, that they have a bloodline relation to the promise of salvation. And it, that's enough. That's enough to get them in the door. It's enough to make it. That's a, the low bar they have to cross to just be related to the people in the Bible um, by religion or by lineage. And that'll be enough. And Jesus is letting, them know, letting us know that's not going to be the case. The sons of that kingdom aren't going to make it. The people who uh, uh, of the lineage aren't going to be in there. They're not going to make it in. And he's saying when they find out that they don't make it, they're going to be broken up about it. That's what the weeping and gnashing of teeth is about. Verse 13, then Jesus said to the centurion, go your way. And as you believe, so be it done for you. And his servant was healed from that, and his servant was healed that very, that same hour. So Jesus there is passing on, uh, passing out another miracle, and just like that, the first one was someone who had faith that Jesus was able to do it, but didn't know if Jesus was willing. The second knows Jesus is able, and seems to believe he's willing to at least he's asking for it and he has the faith to know that with just the command of it Jesus can manifest it and he got his miracle also but Jesus works in other ways these are just a couple of examples of um faith or um or even just humbling yourself to approach Jesus for the help were enough to do it but Jesus does different miracles throughout the gospels uh, with many different motivations and sometimes with no motivation at all, at least from an outside motivation. It's not someone coming to him looking for help in some cases. For instance, the when he raised the widow of Nain's son from uh, the grave, from the coffin, and no one asked him to do that. He saw the woman, the widow, who was now bereaved of her child, was all broken up and he had compassion on her and did it all on his own without even being asked, at least according to the narrative. So I think it's to let us know, let's not limit God's power. Um, at least that's how the people who approached him in the Gospels got their miracles, by not putting boundaries on what was possible. Verse 14, Now when Jesus had come into Peter's house, he saw his wife's mother lying sick with a fever. 
So Jesus made it to one of his disciples, Peter. That's the one who's going to eventually end up denying that he even knows Jesus three different times just before Jesus' crucifixion. One of his darkest moments, I'm sure, like emotionally. Um, but it's that same Peter, and he's visiting his house, and it's letting us know Peter has a wife and a mother-in-law. Verse 15, so he touched, and she's not doing so good. She's sick with the fever, it says. Um, so verse 15, so he touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she arose and served them. So another person needing a healing, and in that case, it again, they didn't seem to ask for it at all in her case, but Jesus saw the need and attended to it. So maybe again, it's to let us know the miracles can happen in many different ways. It can happen when we go and seek it out with faith to know it. It can happen when we least expect it just by G by God, Jesus noticing our plight and being there for us. And, you know, I've seen it happen both ways in my own life. And I've seen it happen where you ask for it and you don't seem to receive it at all. So, I, again, I think it's to let us know, don't limit uh, God's power. And um, uh, we already went into the old dimensions thing How uh, with the last reading. But just in case I didn't mention it um, or you didn't, in case I didn't mention it in a more recent one. I also remember the fact that we can appear in different places at the same time and be in the same place at once. Just like how science believes like the multiverse um, reading we did last time or last last reading last Saturday it's it can be possible in a completely non-religious way whenever you say you um, uh, zoom or uh, FaceTime or you know webcam with somebody you're where you are physically and yet you appear to where the other person is uh, also at the same time and even though you're not physically appearing there you are in another form appearing there to them also so in a, and if they're in another part of the world a different time zone you're actually traveling through time in your appearance without moving at all so all those things are entirely possible in different ways of thinking and you we i think to free ourselves to more miraculous events in our lives we have to stop being know-it-alls on how things have to go and um in those ways limit god's hand or attempt to uh, verse 16, when evening had come, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed, and he cast out the spirits with a word, and healed all who were sick. So a whole lot of people are seeking Jesus and for a healing, and they're getting them. They're getting the healing. That it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, He himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. So verse 17 is referring to an Old Testament prophet, as they're called, Isaiah. Um, and a message he got, he received in one of his visions. It's reflecting back on the Old Testament book of Isaiah chapter 53, verse 4. And he, the narrator, the one who's passing the story on to us, believes that in Jesus performing these miracles and healings, he's fulfilling that uh, Old Testament verse passage where um, Isaiah has the vision of the Messiah, the Savior, the Christ of Jesus coming and performing miracles, even as even so much as healing people of sickness, taking it upon himself and off of the afflicted. 
and they believe they're believing and passing on to us that they believe Jesus in that moment was fulfilling that Old Testament passage from Isaiah. Uh, verse 18, and when Jesus saw great multitudes about him, he gave a command to depart to the other side. So Jesus sees he's gone viral, got a whole lot of people following him um, and interested in his message and his healing. And so he's commanded the, the disciples, at least I presume the disciples, um, no, maybe not just the disciples, but the disciples and the multitude perhaps to um, go over to the other side to cross over the water. Verse 19, then a certain scribe came and said to him, teacher, I'll follow you wherever you go. So a scribe would be like the media. They're scribing or writing down the different turn of events of the times and sort of documenting them. They're the religious scribes who are sort of following Jesus around and saying, oh, he performed this miracle, which broke our Sabbath law, or, oh, he performed that miracle, which broke our Sabbath law, or he performed this miracle on this Sabbath day. And so they'll do things like that. They're going around and documenting the things he's doing, not necessarily because they believe in him, but because that they it's like you getting a ticket. They're citing him for breaking their rules. So um, in those ways, He's offending them. He's, um, it'd be like a woman in another religion walking out around without the uh, hijab on, or like another woman in another religion uh, preparing a pork meal for her family because um, they don't have anything else to eat, or because they just like it. It'd be that sort of offense. So that's what the scribes are generally doing. That doesn't mean some didn't believe in Jesus, especially after seeing his miracles, but that's basically what the scribes. That's what they're scribing. That's what they're writing. Um, and one of them is saying he does um, believe in Jesus enough to follow him wherever he goes. Verse 20, and Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. So Jesus is um, breaking things down on a natural human earthly level that we can understand it. He's letting us know the animals, even the foxes have holes. They have their dens where they can go and take rest from their wandering around on the earth. Birds have nests that they can fly to, have families in, and chill at. But he's saying the Son of Man, meaning himself, meaning Jesus, the Son of God in the form of a man, um, has nowhere to lay his head, letting us know that the place where he can chill is not really here. He's here on a mission. He's here with a message. And the place he calls home is not here among us. It's with the Father in the divine realm. So he's letting him know, if that's what you're expecting, me to set up a palace where you can come chill at, that's not how it's going to work right now here on earth. Verse 21, then another of his disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury, he's saying his father. And uh, when it comes to reading that verse, again, I, if you are reading along or reading it on your own, I suggest you exercise caution when reading that out loud because your words can manifest. Um, we'll probably get to it, God willing, soon enough, but Matthew 12, 37 will help explain it more. And my daddy happens to, actually, to still be alive. I lost my mama um, over a decade ago, but daddy's still alive, so you can see why I read that the way I read it. And it's not what Jesus is saying, so there really definitely is no need to put your own energy into saying it. But what he's saying is his father is 
dead apparently and he's asking Jesus to let him go tend to that first uh, rather than follow Jesus like Jesus just gave him the um, like the the last the teacher told him he would do the scribe said he'd follow him someone else is also willing to follow but he says he has other things he has to do dealing with the burial so verse 22 but Jesus said to him follow me and let the dead bury their own dead so I think what Jesus is saying there is that priorities priorities following me following Jesus um the red letters seeing what it is Jesus has to say and doing it has to be the priority especially above dealing with death uh, not to say you should neglect your fat loss and your family obviously but what he I think what he's saying to him and to us all is that Follow life, tend to life, follow going where that's going to take you. Don't put your focus on where death is. Follow Jesus. That's where the life and the light are. And again, I don't think he's saying, oh, just neglect the burial or ceremony or any of that. He's saying, follow him. And then there's a period behind that meaning. That's the beginning and end of it. That's the thought. Follow him. That's the command. Verse 23. Now, when he got into a boat, his disciples followed him. So he's gotten on into the boat, presumably to cross over to the other side, like he said, and the disciples are um, following along. Verse 24, and suddenly a great tempest arose on the sea, so that the boat was covered with the waves, but he was asleep. So a, 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 a storm swooped down on them as they're sailing, and um, it says a great tempest, so it was pretty rowdy. Um, but Jesus was chilling. He's asleep. And they were wondering about where he, they, uh, where they could go and follow him. The, like he said, the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests. So Jesus has found him a little place to sleep. And it's during the storm that everyone else is going through in life. Verse um, 25. Then his disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us. They are perishing. So they, um, in the middle of the storm, when they're going through it, they found Jesus, the come to Jesus moment, another hidden lesson for us. When the storms of life rise up as they tend to, uh, find Jesus, immediately make a beeline to Jesus. If you're a Christian, and if you're not a Christian, you may get persuaded into being one. Find Jesus. When those storms hit, find Jesus. So that's what they've done, and they're begging Jesus for help, asking them to save, asking him to save them. Because they believe they're about to die. Um, or they believe they are dying. Not about to die. Perishing is present progressive. They believe they are perishing. So they're asking Jesus to save them. Um, the storm was just that scary. And they have Jesus with them them physically. So at least we should, I believe, give ourselves a little uh, slack. When we have issues of faith and don't know, have the faith to necessarily believe and the confidence to believe that we can do like the Roman centurion and just command the blessings and the help we want. We can cut ourselves some sight because we don't have Jesus right here with us physically like they do. So it would maybe be easier since you can see the miracles, you can see his hand moving to help people. It would be easier, I would think, to see all of that going on and know in that way, okay, he really does have the power. He's got the energy. Let me plug into that. So they have at least that advantage over us. But even with that advantage, they have Jesus right there in the boat and they still believe they're about to die. As if that would be God's big picture of how things turn out. 
Jesus goes through his ministry only to have all of them drown on a boat. That's not how the prophecies turn out. That's not how Psalm says the Messiah ends up. Um, and yet they put all of that aside and even the presence of Jesus with them physically um, and think that it, it's curtains and they go to Jesus begging for help. Uh, so verse 26, but he said to them, why are you fearful? How do you, how, how, let me say that again. He said to them, why are you fearful? Oh, you of little faith. Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea. And there was a great calm. So first he asked them, what are you scared about? Why are you afraid? And then he rebukes and he includes with that uh, statement of their doubt, acknowledging that they're terrified with it's actually faithlessness. It's not, um, it's fear, but it's rooted in unfaithfulness to him on in not having the belief system, the strength of faith to know like the centurion that Jesus is the power and he has that ability to save them. Or maybe they believe he has the ability, but he might not be willing to. Maybe he's willing to just let them all drown. And one of them is going to put it that way in one of the other Gospels. They're going to say, uh, do you not care that they're perishing? <laughs> so maybe they think he's willing, he's just not able. Or he's able, he's just not willing. So even the disciples had their doubts, I think is the point. So let's not beat ourselves up too much when our own faith doesn't seem to flex the way we want it to. Um, but Jesus did. He flexed and caused the calm and settled down the storm just like that. After they asked, he was right there with them all along. I think it's the hidden message for us. Uh, even if it seems that we're separated from him because the storms of life seem threatening and Jesus seems to be asleep. Uh, but we believe he's still with us, but he seems to be asleep because the storm is happening. I think this is to help us know that he's still with us, even even though we don't have him physically like they did, he's still with us, though it may seem that he's just asleep, but he's still right here with us and waiting for us in some cases to just ask or to just believe that the faith, that the help is there and through him and to just ask him for it. Verse 27, so the men marveled saying, who can this be that even the winds and the sea obey him? So the disciples were relieved at the help they got. The storm got calmed, um, but the unfaithfulness shows through because that's what he called out. Remember, he said they were all of little faith. Their faithlessness shines because they're wondering, well, who can he act? Who is this man? How does he have such power to do things like that and control the weather even? Verse 28, when he had come to the other side, to the country of the Gergesenes, there met him two demon-possessed men coming out of the tombs, exceedingly fierce, so that no one could pass that way. So it says two demon-possessed men in this gospel, but one at least in one in, in at least one of the other gospels, it says a demon-possessed man instead of two. So I think that could either it could be a transcription mistake where it's just um, written down wrong and then documented that way wrong. It could be conflicting tales of the same story by um um just because sometimes stories change like that when they get passed along but i think what it could also be is it's someone with um and it may sound crazy but with um a personality disorder who's a, who uh shows up as 
more than one person. I know that may sound crazy, but it's a real thing. It has a good movie about that uh, called um, The Three Faces of Eve. It's like a classic if you want to check that out. That um, digs into that. It's like it's on the same One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest level. Or another good one is The Snake Pit that deals with mental illness. How a person, the same person can show up as different people depending on what's plaguing their mind and what's on their spirit what kind of energy they're putting out there so it may just be one person it may be one person filled with craziness dealing with his demons um that have him acting like more than one person and have him clowning like he's two people whatever the case may be in one of the gospels it said or at least one gospel it says one here it's saying two but i think the point of it is that is another person who needs help and another instance where Jesus deals with spiritual illness, with demonics. Verse 29, and suddenly they cried out saying, And what have they to do with you, Jesus, you son of God? Have you come here to torment? They're saying, <laughs> you can see how if you read that, how you might be calling something out on yourself. So they're wondering... Let me just start it again. Verse 29. And suddenly they cried out saying, What have they're saying they to do with you, Jesus, you son of God? Have you, Jesus, they're saying gone there to torment them before the time. So the demons are recognizing that Jesus has the authority to command them and control them even just like he controlled the weather but look at what they're saying and that's why you'd i would be careful in even saying what the demon said and i think it goes into um what jesus's response is they're saying what have they to do with jesus so if you say that that's almost like you're saying you have nothing to do with jesus and i know that may seem far fresh fetched or a stretch but consider it's what you're saying if you say it the way they've said it you may be putting that energy there out there also. Just something to consider. So the demons are saying they don't have anything to do with Jesus. And what is he doing there? Is he there to torment and bother them? So the, even the demons are recognizing Christ's uh, position in the big picture of things. Verse 30, now a good way off from them was a herd of many swine feeding. So at a distance, there were some pigs feeding. Uh, verse 31, that's what swine are, pigs. 31, so the demons begged him saying, if you cast us out, permit us to go away into the herd of swine. So even the demons recognize, recognize Jesus' authority and they're um, asking him for a favor. Just like the people who needed help, when uh, people when we need help, pray for help and ask for favors. Even the demons recognize that they have access to a power when they approach Jesus, uh, the power, the energy source when they approach Jesus, who has uh, power to direct even their pathways. So they're asking for mercy and to a, a direction for where they can go, in, and that is to possess the pigs. Verse 32, and he said to them, go. So when they had come out, they went into the herd of swine, and suddenly the whole herd of swine ran violently down the steep place into the sea and perished in the water. So um, the thing about that is first they asked for the help and even the demons received what they asked for from Jesus. He permitted them to go away into the herd of pigs and possess them. 
But not only that, the part about them possessing the pigs, I think that goes to, and we're going to, like I say before, if you read along with me on our Monday and Wednesday readings of the Old Testament, you'll see that some of the events there when it comes to the animal sacrifices and interactions with the animals on a spiritual sense seem to point to other religions like uh, the Wicca or uh, voodoo, uh, black magic type rituals where where the spirits are taken into the animals or at least transferred to the animals and this whole saying of a scapegoat it, at least as far as I know originates with one of the animal sacrifices that we'll eventually get to in the Old Testament where the sins of the humans are placed onto the animals the demons that are haunting the humans and plaguing the humans are placed on or transferred to the animals and a good movie that sort of shows a glimpse of that if you want to check it out it's um, A Haunting in Connecticut it's a really good movie like a, a boy and I think it's based on true events with uh, the abilities to act as a medium between the worlds, the dimensions, I was able to, to um, act as a conduit for those evil spirits or, you know, demonic spirits, otherworldly spirits to be transformed or transferred into animals. And again, I know it sounds crazy, but that's the same sort of thing it's talking about here. And there are lots of religions in the world that believe such things absolutely are possible. And, um, even to the point where uh, when it comes to um, you, the animals are can be used in other ways like black cats that can be associated with uh, evil spirits and a sort of entities being passed around and moving along through the animals not just through the people um, so anyway the the when the demons possess the pigs though the pigs immediately committed Harry Carey. They committed suicide and killed themselves rather than be tormented by the demons, um, which I think is another hidden message for us about judgment. When people kill themselves, we don't know what demons are tormenting people, or whether it be loneliness, depression, madness, or whatever the case may be, grief. It may be lots of different things that possess people and cause them to take their lives. And some of it may also be demonic possession. And it may be the spiritual demons that we think of, but it could also be chemical or biological demons like too much booze, too many substances, or um, biological things like hormonal swings. We don't know. God sees the big picture in those hearts. We don't. We can just see the actions and hear the words. Um, verse 33, then those who kept them fled and they went away into the city and told everything, including what had happened to the demon possessed men. So the witnesses to what happened to the exorcism, that's what it is when the demons are manhandled and tossed out. Um, they spread the news that someone's around there performing miracles, casting out demons, and it's cost them a whole lot of pork. Verse 34, and behold, the whole city came out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they begged him to depart from their region. So word got out that Jesus performed the miracle of relieving someone of the demons that was possessing him, even casting out the demons. But word also got out that all that, that pork died. All that money related to those pigs got washed up in the water with the pigs that committed suicide. And all of that word spread around to those other farmers and herdsmen who are herds people, shepherds, 
when they realize uh, he might travel to their area next and it might cost them a bunch of livestock too. So are the people delighted and happy that one of their fellow human beings has been relieved of the demons that was plaguing him or not, uh, or even if it were two people, uh, like it says, relieved from the things that had them living in the tombs and acting like madmen. Are they happy about that? Are they relieved that they found spiritual relief from the things and issues that were plaguing them in life that had them living in the tombs? No, the people aren't happy about that at all. Instead, they beg Jesus to leave them. So let you know, other things can easily take priority over people's seeking uh, salvation over people seeking what's spiritually right, over even people acknowledging and seeking the power of God in the form of Jesus, as we believe, we believers believe, letting that get um, take a back seat to other stuff like profit, other stuff like fear, other stuff like dogma, to believe that uh, we rather not deal with someone who's manhandling those demons, they rather just deal with the people suffering than have someone go around there and flex in any way that's going to cost them one penny, even one of their pigs. Um, but I'm not sure that's why they didn't want Jesus to stay, but it seems to me that would be right. Why? They lost the herd of pigs from uh, the healing those people or that person got. Um, but anyway, that ends this reading. I appreciate you checking it out with me. And as always, I hope it's a blessing for you. It's Saturday night. That's why we're in Jesus's words. And just in case this is your first time reading with me, I say that because only six out of the 60 plus books in the Bible, a tenth or a tithe, have anything that Jesus said at all. And they appear in those red letters. That's what we focus on as a red letter Christian. Focus on what Jesus has to say and doing that. Because it turns out the rest of the Bible has a lot of other things that people tell you you ought to do that don't align with what Jesus has to say. So you're faced with a decision. Who's going to be your savior? Who's your daddy? Where are you going? Which way are you going to take? There's is a path and it's a crossroads at every single step of the way, it seems sometimes. So to choose to stay on the narrow path to salvation or take the broad way that lots of people take that ends up downstairs in the flames. It's a choice, but it's yours. That's where the free will comes in. So that's what we focus on on Mondays and Wednesdays and our Saturday night readings. You can hear the past readings here on this platform, or if you're an adult, you can go to my platform, hungtgirl.com, and click on the links to get to know me and the naked truth and these red letters better. Uh, Find out about me, body, mind, spirit, and soul. Uh, with the spirit and soul focusing the most on the naked truth and the past readings and the gospel readings and how I feel they come alive for me. Um, Feel free to make a donation, get a membership, or just enjoy the free content, clicking the pictures and enjoying the videos, whatever floats your boat. I appreciate it. Thank you for it. God bless you for it. And stay safe. Uh, I'll see you next time and God bless you. Peace to you. Thanks again.